Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to the Second Tier Preview Show brought to you by SBK. I'm Ryan Dilks and I'm joined by the Dana White to my Ben White. It's Justin Peach. Good day to you, Ryan. Justin, uh, in reference to that intro, it's uh, alluding to the clip which has been doing the rounds of UFC CEO Dana White slagging off football. Have you seen this? I don't think I have actually. Please explain it to me because this is this is a wrap. I'm surprised weird. that you haven't seen it, but I hate to admit that it has really rubbed me up the wrong way. So what he has essentially said is, and I'm paraphrasing here, football is the easiest sport in the world. Um, three-year-olds can play it. It's that easy. And the goals are so big that it's ridiculous that the scores are so low, are so low in, in most games. And um, so if they had more talents, they would score more goals. It was essentially along those lines. But it's, you know, it's your typical ignorance to the great sports that we all know and love. Yeah, it's proper dickhead comment. I mean, any three-year-old can play a sport if they play it from a young age, right? They're not going to be very good at it. But a three-year-old can get involved in MMA, if that was a thing. <laughs> I mean, there's no MMA for three-year-olds or UFC or whatever, yeah. I, but, I, I I hate to say, I would love to see that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's quite problematic, but I mean, football's more inclusive in that sense because it's a non-violent sport. You're not kicking each other in the head. Actually, mind you, I did have the anecdote of me going to see my niece's game the other week and they do, in fact, kick 10 prowls of shit out of each other. So it is as close to MMA as you can get. That isn't MMA, I guess. But yeah, it's a proper ignorant comment. For a proper ignorant comment and pretty... Um, it's just it's coming from the outside in, isn't it? Someone who's never kicked a ball thinking they can they can kick a ball when they try and kick a ball and they look like the biggest tit in the world. Well, the comparison he made was that ice hockey, for example, is such a difficult sport, and I, th- I think that is fair because yeah. I, I can't even fathom having to play hockey while also trying to focus on ice skating. However, yeah. my big sticking point with this is football is the most popular sport on the planet, and so. To be very good at it, you have to be, well, to play it professionally, you have to be exceptionally good at it, mm. don't you? And yeah. th- that's where I think Dana White was perhaps a bit ignorant to the situation. Dare I say it's, it's I mean, the odds and the probabilities will, will back me up here, but it'd be easy to become a, a full-time UFC fighter and a full-time ice hockey player than it would be to become a, a full-time professional footballer because of 
the statistics of I, I I don't know if that's I, I don't know the statistics behind it, Justin. I'm just not I'm just not going to say that to a UFC fighter that the sport that he's in is. Oi, cauliflower is. Come here. <laughs> it's a lot easier to be one of them than it is a professional footballer. Anyway, we'll leave that there. Welcome to the number one championship podcast, the second tier. Thank you for joining us wherever you are, and this is our preview show, sponsored by. SBK, and this is where we look ahead to the weekend in the championship. Only issue is this weekend there aren't many games in the championship. We have three contests for us to mull over in this episode, so we're going to go through each of them, um, including our game of the weekend, which is a huge game between QPR and Huddersfield. More on that very shortly, uh, but we're going to go through each game, make our predictions based off that, and then finish off the show with Scott Height or Ryan Lowe right at the end of things. Um, so, as I say, let's begin things with our game of the weekend, and it is genuinely huge, isn't it? In fact, right now, You'd struggle to pick many games bigger than this, I think. It's a relegation six-pointer between QPR and Huddersfield. And as we say, we have only got three games this weekend, but the gravity of this one counts for at least four, doesn't it? Because a genuine question, Justin, how many games could we pick right now which have more at stake than this? Sure, Ipswich v Southampton is an obvious one. You could possibly say Leeds against either of those two as well. But otherwise, that's it. It's the team just outside the relegation zone against the side nearest to getting out of it. It's massive. What do you mean a Cardiff v Preston is a big game for mid-table obscurity? <laughs> Come on. It, it, it is massive. It is massive. I, I won't downplay it. It is absolutely huge. Uh, the QPR Huddersfield. Um, it's, I mean, you just got to look at the table. Uh, I think if QPR win, they can go above Huddersfield and Huddersfield drop into the bottom three. It would be you know, an incredible feat for that to happen um, because of how, how poor QPR were at one stage and, and sort of how bumpy it's been for Huddersfield. But yeah, as far as games go this weekend, yes, there are only three, but it's certainly absolutely huge. And I think as well, the the uh, I mean the amount of money that's been well not the amount of money that's been invested in Huddersfield but the amount you know spending they've been doing this January already um, just adds a little bit more pressure to it from a Huddersfield perspective and Sifuentes who seemingly doesn't have any money he's having to scrape around to get his players playing he's had an injury crisis hopefully come out the other end of that again it, it, it props their squad up as well so it adds a lot more gravitas to this to this fixture if it needed any. It didn't need any more gravitas, did it? But it's, that's how big this game is. But you are right, Justin. If QPR win, they would jump out of the out of the bottom three. And they haven't been outside of the relegation zone since September. And they're in this position despite only winning five points from an available 24, which may say a lot about how much this bottom four have struggled this season, that QPR could potentially be out of the bottom three this weekend if, uh, if they get a win, despite their pretty poor form. But... You know, from a QPR perspective, being outside of the bottom three would be huge, wouldn't it? On the other hand, can they afford to lose? Because that would open up a six-point gap. And considering QPR have only won five points from their last eight, as we say, that gives you an idea of how tough that gap would be to cross if they were to lose here, especially because Huddersfield have strengthened this window and probably will do even further before the window closes, right? And I think to make matters worse as well, I, I do agree with you, to make matters worse as well, um, those four teams, as we said on numerous occasions this season, are by yeah, by far the, the, the worst four teams in the division. You've got Birmingham, Stoke, Millwall, Blackburn, Swansea and even Plymouth all on th- uh, sort of 32, 33 points, not too far ahead of the, the bottom three. But 
you don't expect them to, to drop off too much. You could maybe make an argument for Plymouth, but they've they impressed in their last game. Birmingham have appointed Tony Mowbray. They're going to hopefully improve. Stoke Schumacher, hopefully going to improve. Yeah, there's so many variables to the teams that are above them. So it's going to be hard to close that gap on the teams that are above 21st. So yes, getting a result in this game is absolutely massive. And you are right. You know, QPR losing this game is just going to open up an even bigger gap between them and Huddersfield. And like you said, Huddersfield spending money, adding to their squad, it, it mounts the pressure on it. It is almost a must-win game for QPR because they've struggled to develop any form of consistency since Sifuentes came in. There was a you know, bit of a splurge when he first arrived um, and things have improved, but is it enough to win three, four games on, on the trot to, to really pull you away from that bottom three? Maybe, maybe not. And again, that point points gap that opens up, is it enough then to to, to, to win three or four games on the trot to get you out of it? It gets harder and harder. So yeah, big, big game for QPR. Yeah, spot on. And whether it's must win or not, I'm not too sure. I think a draw wouldn't be a terrible result from a QPR perspective or a Huddersfield perspective for that matter. Um, but, you know, a, a win for either side is just absolutely massive, isn't it? Um, let's look at it from a Huddersfield perspective because, of course, they haven't been in great form recently or really in great form since Darren Moore took over. And the pressure is mounting on him. All I see on my Twitter or X um <laughs> at the moment is just Huddersfield fans constantly calling for Darren Moore to get sacked. And it begs the question, Justin, if Huddersfield were to lose here, could Darren Moore get sacked? Uh, yeah, I mean, look, I am a big fan of Darren Moore as a, as a person and as a manager. Um, but you do have to look at it and go, you know, 21 games is, is three wins enough. 10 draws in that time, mind you. But is three wins enough. Um they do have a bottom three squad for me. We've said this many, many times. We don't have to keep repeating ourselves, but just to reaffirm the point, they have a bottom three squad. So I think for Darren Moore to have accrued as many points as he has to, and I think he's, he's delivered, he's been on par. He's not he's not set the world alight. He's not a Neil Warnock. We know that. Um, and he's not set the world alight. But I think it just lends to what, what football is, which is a, a very fickle game. I think he needs the opportunity to see what he can do with an improved forward line because they don't score enough goals. Do they create enough chances? Probably not. Um, I think that's the next next um, avenue they need to recruit in. Is is it a little bit more creative, a bit more of a spark? You look at Joseph Hungbo's contribution last season from set pieces and just being able to strike a ball and win a game. Um, you know there are there are improvements there, but you know ten draws is it is it you know it's a fine margin for for Darren Moore at the moment. Ten draws is a, is a lot to accumulate in, in twenty one games. Um, but when you get the time to turn it around, I think the pressure is going to be on him because Kevin Nagel, the owner, is on him. He's on him, isn't he? And he's and he's in you know he's in the country. He's he's been going to games. He's he's very aware of the situation, which will just add the pressure to Darren Moore. Well, you say is he under pressure? He's undoubtedly under pressure. Um, and I do agree with you, Justin. I think I do believe personally that Huddersfield fans have perhaps been a bit harsh on Darren Moore because the squad is so poor. And now that they have been strengthening in the transfer window, that's good to see. It would be a bit harsh on him, though, if he were to be sacked as soon as they've just started strengthening, yeah. if you see what I mean, because yeah. he, he should really get a fair chance with this squad, in my opinion, anyway. But will he get that? Because Huddersfield fans are losing patience at a rapid rate. And as we saw with Kevin Nagel, the owner, not too long ago, saying this isn't good enough on Twitter he is clearly seeing what the fans are seeing as well, who are so desperate for another manager to come in. So it all depends on 
how long he's willing to give Darren Moore. And, you know, if they do lose this, then that'll be a huge blow. And Huddersfield may panic, might they? Mm. Yeah, well, that's the thing, isn't it? It can be a knee-jerk reaction from the owner if they, if they lose this game because it's such a big game. You don't want to be dragged into the bottom three. You want to keep that points gap between you and the, the sides down there, especially if you're spending money. Because like you've said several times, going down to League One will be a bad investment for, for, for Kevin Kevin Nargo. And I think it's a, a case of if he's can, going to continue to, um, to invest that money, maybe he might want to, want to bring in a manager who he knows is going to get the best out of the squad. That being said... Are there going to be that many managers who are going to want to fight for? I think Neil Warner could be licking his lips at, at, at the at the um, the principal of the squad, the the not the not Huddersfield in, in, you know, as a club, but maybe the the concept it represents, i.e., a relegation battle, bit of money being spent in January, new players, etc. Um, so that's really what you're going to attract—a bit more short-termism. So yeah, it's, it's it's a weird situation Huddersfield find themselves in, and it's probably one of their own making because of a very lax and inactive summer transfer window. Well, they are amending what they did in the summer, aren't they, by being a bit more active in this window. They have been boosted by the recent signings of striker Reese Healy from Watford and defender Rodinho Bauka from Groningen in Holland. Uh, well, just quickly, what did you think of the Healy move, Justin? I don't think we've really spoke about it yet, but it was a bit surprising seeing Huddersfield fork out £2 million for him, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, for a player who's not done a lot, has struggled with injuries, was arrived on a free transfer from Toulouse to Watford in the summer. Maybe they overpaid for him, but you get into a point where in January when you are desperate for a striker that you will pay maybe a little bit over the odds for him. But look, I think if you can get going, get fit and get um, get comfortable and confident in, in, a, in, in their team, I think he can score goals. But there are a lot of variables at the minute, I think, working against Healy. Just presents a bit of a risky signing, maybe a loan a loan signing may have been better, but I think if you're going to invest your money, you want to invest in a permanent transfer. And Healy has got a good history of scoring goals, especially especially in France. So, as I say, if he gets confidence, get uh, gets fit, and gets running games, you never know. Yeah, it's um, it does feel a bit odd for a club to spend that much money, particularly a club in Huddersfield's position, yeah. on a striker who Watford signed on a free in the summer and has by and large been warming the bench for Watford mm-hmm. this season so that does seem a bit odd but I, I suppose you could look at it from a, a position of they're going out there to prove that they want to stay up and um, are willing to you know fork out to try and avoid a relegation but it, it does seem like a bit of a strange one doesn't it I don't know much about Balka from Groningen Um be interesting to see what he's like I think Huddersfield's defence is probably their strongest point. And if they feel like he, he can improve that, then that's certainly interesting. Um, it's now time, Justin, for our second tier bet builder with SBK. And with SBK, you can curate your own bet builder from a range of markets for any championship game. It's easy, fast and secure on the SBK mobile app. And you'll find substantially better odds there than at any other bookmaker. So every Friday, we're making our own bet builder with four selections all relating to our game of the week. So that's two for Justin and two for me. So, Justin, what are your selections for our SBK bet builder? 
we've bigged the game up, haven't we, for the weekend? We've 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 thrown everything at it. So I, I'm expecting the game to be a draw, and I'm expecting uh, under 0.5 goals at half time. So I'm expecting actually the game to be to be nil nil in general. Um, but if you look at the, the the past results of Huddersfield, they've drawn 10 games in 21 under Darren Wise. I've, I've alluded to already since September since he came in. They do find winning games away from home very hard to come by, just two all season. And you mix that with QPR's home record, which is the worst in the championship, followed by the pressure of a six-pointer. Do fancy a draw here. And then going to the uh, um, 0.5 goals at half time, both sides have scored just 21 goals this season each, uh, which is a very low, a very low number. So they're goal shy. Maybe the extra firepower might might fall in Huddersfield's favour, but um, I expect the first half especially to be a nervy half. And if there's going to be a goal, it's more than likely going to be in the second half. But as I say, bit of nerves, bit of stress, bit of angst, bit tactical, bit overcautious. No, 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 half time. Well, this is where you and I have kind of butted heads a bit here, Justin, haven't we? Because I've gone for both teams to score. And the reason I've gone for that is... By and large, because Huddersfield do like both teams to score. They have uh, seen both teams score in 10 of their last 12 games. And while I, I, I do agree with you, both teams are not the best going forwards. I think we we will see uh, both teams finding the back of the net in some shape or form. So um still could very well come in, couldn't it? It could still be 0-0 at half-time and both teams find the back of the net in the second half. Um, so not completely against the grain. And then the other selection I've gone for is Ben Jackson to be carded. The reason I've gone with this, he's the Huddersfield left wing-back. The reason I've gone for this is because Paul Smith of QPR is one of the most fouled players per game in the whole of the division. And if he's fit, he did miss the last game because he pulled out of the warm-up through injury then he should be causing all sorts of problems for uh, Jackson of Huddersfield. So that's why I've gone for that. And a £10 bet with SBK on this bet builder returns £179.86. And new SBK users can take advantage of £30 in free bets when you place your first £10 bet. T's and T's apply over 18s only. And please do gamble responsibly. That bet builder, once again, is full-time result to be a draw under 0.5 goals at half-time. Ben Jackson to be carded of Huddersfield and both teams to score in that one. £10 returns £179.80. Eighty-six pence. Just before we have a quick break, Justin, look ahead to the rest of the games in the Championship this weekend. According to multiple reports, Blackburn have rejected an £18.5 million offer from Crystal Palace for midfielder Adam Wharton. The Athletic says Rovers want more money and for him to stay on loan until the summer. What did you think of that, Justin? I think it's inevitable that Adam Water's going to generate interest because he's a very gifted midfielder. He's got a lot of responsibility in that midfield and I think he grew into last season and he's really taken it on this season in, in, in on Thomason's side. That being said, I do think that's a good offer. Fair enough for Blackburn uh, rejecting it. And I understand Blackburn's you know, want for a little bit of more more in their favour. Uh, obviously, Wharton signed a new deal in December until 2028. And I think replacing him at this stage in the transfer window, just a few days left. It's going to be tricky. It's going to be tricky and probably expensive as well. So that being said, um, yeah, probably Rovers in their in their right to do it. But they they do have an uncanny habit of um, not selling players at their peak value. Mm. Ben Brownton Diaz ran down his contract. Joe Rothwell, Daryl Lenham both ran down mm. their contracts. Adam Armstrong, he had a year left on his deal. So yeah, maybe maybe don't wait out too long, Blackburn, because I do, I do think you need this money to reinvest into your squad badly. 
Yeah, Amari, Amari Bell's another one as well who left on a free. All, all yeah. those players you mentioned there, Justin, left on a free apart from Adam Armstrong. And Blackburn missed out on the opportunity to sell them when they had the chance. And I worry whether Blackburn are doing that again here. I, I get that he's a very talented player and reports say that um, Palace are going to be putting in another bid. So they clearly think they can squeeze more money out of this. So I, I'm hoping that if they if they got something like 20 million or so then they see sense and sell because i think 18 and a half million is a very generous price and they've still turned it down and as you say blackburn don't have a great record in selling players at their optimum time um with someone like wharton all it takes is a bad injury of course i don't want that to happen and touch wood that doesn't happen but all it takes is a bad injury for that value to completely disappear I've just got pictures of Noel Edmonds just lifting up the box deal or no deal you just take it don't you you don't don't faff around don't open any more boxes take the 18 million guys Noel Edmonds is telling you to take it well, I don't think he can he could tell you to take it but anyway besides the point just uh, just take the point a lot of young listeners will have no idea what I'm talking about but the older ones will surely we don't have any listeners who aren't old enough to know what deal or no deal is Oh, I mean, when did it come off air? I mean, it was it must it must have come off come off air about ten years ago. But still, they they must have some recollection of what deal or no deal is. Yeah, they're not. They're not yeah, but the only thing is, they're not. There aren't many memeable moments um, in in deal or no deal, are they? That may be a sad indictment of how you view the modern <laughs> the modern generation. <laughs> uh, but we'll we'll leave that there, Justin. Let's take a quick break. After that, we'll look ahead to the other two games in the championship this weekend. Small details are big surfaces, tight corners are odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rustolium. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Welcome back to the Second Tier Podcast. Just and I are just reflecting on the incredible revelation that we didn't realise we got notified by producer Finn that Deal or No Deal has been reprised on telly and is being presented mm. by Stephen Woolhurn, which I just did not know at all and says a lot about my current viewing habits of TV. And also featured Michael Owen at some point, which if you are to if you know if you're gonna go by his his uh his competitiveness of just throwing things in a bin, Apple calls in a yeah. bin, then my God, that is gonna be a good episode that we need to dig out. And there's one hundred percent Contradicting myself here, there's going to be memeable content in that episode of Michael Owen on Deal or No Deal. 
Well, surely when they each opened the box, he would just throw in an apple core each time oh he opened God. one of the boxes. That is, it's probably why he was invited on. Yeah, he, he wasn't actually on. Like, he wasn't involved in the show. He was just throwing apple core, apple cores in, in in the boxes, and pissing off his mum. Maybe or the banker in this case. <laughs> um, do you like Stephen Mulhern? I can't stand him. I, I think he's all right. I think he's very harsh. Yeah, it anyway, says a lot about you, I think. Um, now, usually what we do in this episode is make our bankers and outsider predictions for the weekend. But since there's only three games, we're not going to do that this week, Justin. Instead, we're just going to each make a prediction on the other two games of the weekend and make that into our second tier featured multiple with SBK. So, Justin, you're predicting the outcome of Millwall v Preston. I'm predicting Sunderland v Stoke. Now, importantly, this won't count towards our prediction scores for the season. I don't want any accusations of one game being harder to predict than the other because whichever way I decided to do this, Justin would moan. Um, so yeah. we're, we're avoiding that. But by the way, the scores in that are now 33-21. Justin managed to pull a point back after his banker came in last weekend while I had a scoreless week. So that will be returning again next week. But let's look ahead to this weekend then, Justin. And on Saturday, we have the Alex Neil derby between Sunderland and Stoke. And Justin, we were just talking earlier about Darren Moore's job potentially being at risk, depending on the weekend scoreline. Uh, that surely must be the case if Mick Beale were to lose here as well, mustn't it? Yeah, I think the, I think the circumstances are very different with Mick Beale because, as opposed to some managers like Darren Moore who have maybe sections of vocal supporters that <laughs> show discontent, the feeling from Sutherland fans is unanimous <laughs> that Mick Beale is not the man for them. Um, it is unanimous, so I think yeah, a defeat will definitely pile the pressure on him. Um, and, and we'll certainly maybe push the ball to making a difficult decision. But look, if if they, if they lose, season's fizzling out quickly because this, the form, the the the, the quality of football has dropped off so significantly since Tony Mowbray left. It is ridiculous. And I think what makes it worse is, and it's probably a good thing that Birmingham aren't playing this weekend. Is the more Mowbray gets out of that Birmingham side, the more I'm thinking. Maybe it wasn't. Maybe it was a mistake getting rid of Mowbray at that stage. Maybe you should have kept him on and see see where you where you went. Maybe try and recruit a striker in January and see what happens. Because, my goodness, my goodness, it is not good. Well, I think I will disagree with you to an extent, Justin. I don't think performances have particularly dropped off a cliff at all. I just think the fans didn't believe in McBeal when he was appointed and haven't seen enough to convince them otherwise. And. That's why I think Sunderland do have a decision to make because it's only going to get more and more difficult for them to turn around this drop in form if the fans are not behind the team. Um, I mean, just think about it. Imagine the boos if they lose against Stoke. It will be deafening. It was loud after they lost to Hull. If they lose here, then it will be earth-shattering. Did you see, by the way, that the power went out at Mick Beale's press conference before this game this weekend, which I feel like is a uh, is a is a good uh, metaphor for what potentially could be happening with his Sunderland career, Justin. Also, an incredible irony that it's uh, the, the power's gone out of the academy of light. So there's no there's no now there's now no light there yes. at the training ground. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's, it's a weird metaphor, isn't it? Um, maybe maybe if it dimmed and flickered 
and we saw a picture of it like a like a bit of a horror film. We've got Charlie Method <laughs> appearing <laughs> when the lights come back on, <laughs> like the Undertaker. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but yeah, it's it's um, it is a, as a bad a metaphor as you can get for him because yeah, everything's everything's going out on McBeal at the moment. Yeah, well, in response to criticism from the Sunderland fans, he said in that press conference when the lights were actually on, and this is sarcasm, by the way, it's a huge crisis. We're sat where we are, three points outside the playoffs with a home game coming up. And then he went on to say, I'm a little bit perplexed and bemused by the outside thing. And by outside thing, he, of course, means the Sunderland fans in this scenario. But look, it, it is Stoke who they are playing and their unbeaten start under Stephen Schumacher came to an end last weekend. How are you feeling about them, Justin, currently? I think they're on a better trajectory than um, than Sunderland and McBeal. Uh, I can't remember if they were appointed at the same time, but they've had a similar amount of games, shall we say. And I think the, uh, the the horrible ironic thing here is Stephen Schumacher would be perfect for this Sunderland squad. Absolutely yeah. perfect for this Sunderland squad in terms of getting the attacking attacking potential out of it, developing youngsters, not you know going out spending chunks of money on, on players and just really really. Um, you know, getting a style of play that the the, the, the uh, supporters can get behind. And that being said, football at Stoke has improved. There's just a quality issue at the top end of the pitch, and I think that will come uh, at some point. And and let's say if Stoke get an early goal here, I think that's going to give them confidence to go on and win this game because the atmosphere is going to turn toxic as soon as as soon as that happens, if it happens. Yeah, it, it won't take much for the Sunderland fans to get on the backs of the players, will it? So this is my selection. Uh, well, I am the one who's predicting for this game this week and I'm going for a Sunderland win. The reason I've gone for that is because what sometimes tends to happen in football is all the pressure is on a manager to try and get out a result because the fans just aren't happy. And what, what sometimes happens is they get a, they get the win on, on the board. And that's kind of what I'm sensing here. But I also look at it like this. This Sunderland squad is extremely talented. And even though, is McBeal the right man? I don't think so. I still think when you put the two squads side by side, this Sunderland team is a lot better and a lot stronger, has a lot more depth and is a lot more exciting than this Stoke team. So that's why I'm going to go for a Sunderland win here, Justin. Are you happy with that? I think I am actually. I can't. I can't find. Maybe I might edge towards the draw, but that's a bit boring. Uh, mainly because I, I just think. Um, I think they're both both sides will cancel each other out because suddenly not creating a hell of a lot. Um, and Stoke have have drawn quite a few games under Stephen Schumacher. There's been an onus on making sure there's a bit more control in games, and therefore they're not giving too many chances away. Um, but then again, that might that might play into Sunderland's hands. But if you're looking at match winners, and this is always a thing I'll say in tight games, this is always a thing I'll say with Sunderland as well under Mick Beale, is they've got Jack Clark, who's got the ability to win a game on his own. He can shoot yeah. from distance, he can shoot outside the box, he can cut inside, he can do whatever he wants with the ball, um, which is quite a unique thing to do. And I don't think Stoke have too many of those. And I say, I think it's a collective thing for Stoke and they're, they're coming up, but I think going against the grain... Of that collective, I think Jack Clark can can really, really punish the side. And I think might well do that here against Stoke. Yeah, I was considering the draw myself. Stoke have drawn five of their last eight league games. So it wouldn't be a surprise to see that happen at all. However, I kind of just following on from what you said and what I was saying a second ago, 
Sunderland have a lot more individual talent, particularly Jack Clark. So that's why I'm edging towards a Sunderland win. And the other game from Saturday is the Troy Parrot Derby. It's Millwall against Preston. As you could probably tell, I was struggling a bit to find anyone who's played for Millwall and Preston. Um, and that was the best I could find. But it's nine losses from 13 in all competitions for Preston. And uh, just kind of the theme of this episode, Justin, Ryan Lowe, could he be in danger of losing his job with a loss here? Um, I feel like that one is less likely than the other two, despite the poor form. Yeah, he's safe. Ryan Lowe is safe, I think. Um, uh, it's it's one of those where Preston aren't going to... There's, there's probably not an objective to win promotion this season and they're certainly not going to get relegated. It's just a case of trying to perform as, as best as you can, as consistently as you can, which they haven't done at all this season, actually. Um, I think that's the only thing that's going against him and that's going to that's probably going to annoy supporters more than it will annoy a board. Um, because unless you are fighting relegation... How many managers get sacked in January, for example? Not many. Those decisions don't really get made in a transfer window. So I think for Lowe now, as I say, he's probably the safest of the three. But that being said, he's got to stop aggravating fans with comments in the media. <laughs> I think that's going to help his cause quite a lot. <laughs> oh, it's great for us because we've got stuff to talk about and we can laugh <laughs> about it. Um, but it's not great for supporters when your own manager is trying to stick a, stick the needle in a little bit um, and say that we, you know, we're not underperforming, we're overperforming. Any any nonsense that he's come out of in the past or um, anything that he's alluding to. So, yeah, I think he's, he's certainly safe, but he needs a result. Um, he needs a result to to get the pressure, lift the pressure, and get the fans off his back. Yeah, he he definitely does need a result. I feel like that Leeds win from what was a few weeks ago now. I feel like that has done a lot to alleviate the pressure. But yeah. how long will that last? I don't know. Preston fans have been calling for Lowe's head for a while, but the ownership seem keen to want to give him a chance to turn it around and based on that I'll be surprised if a loss away at Millwall was the straw which broke the camel's back because it would be Mm. quite a strange game to look at and go right this is the game where we decided it needs to change so that's why I'd certainly be very surprised if Ryan Lowe were to lose his job here but look he desperately 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 needs to turn things around doesn't he because nine losses from 13 is essentially relegation form isn't it I don't think there's any danger of Preston actually going down this season but if it doesn't turn around then not only will the fans have lost all hope with Ryan Lowe but the hierarchy will be looking at it thinking yeah we do need to make a change it's about time that we do and from a Millwall perspective we could see Michael Oberfemi and Jaffet Tanganga make their first starts for the Lions and I tell you what Justin I was having a look at that Millwall team and it's pretty good, actually. Of course, you know, striker has been a big issue for them pretty much all season. But if you put Oberfemi up top and then you've got Zian Fleming just behind him and then Brooke Norton Cuffey, Joe Bryan at wing back and then a back three with the likes of Jake Cooper, uh, Sean Hutchinson or Wes Harding, perhaps. And then adding Jaffet Tanganga in that back three as well. That's a pretty decent team. Yeah, yeah. On paper, it's a lovely, lovely squad. It's a lovely squad. It's just about getting that balance and blend right, and getting players confident, and also trying to alleviate some of your weaknesses. Because I think I alluded to it when Tanganga came in, uh, when when the uh, signing was announced, that it, you know it's an aging back four. I know Jake Cooper's twenty eight, but he's but he's six foot ten. He's the biggest man in the world. He's not going to be quick, <laughs> is he? So getting a bit of athleticism back into that back line is, is going to be great because. If Joe Edwards is going to want to push those wing backs forward in Norton Cuffey and Joe Bryan or whoever's playing at right wing back and left wing back, um, 
you you need a, a steady, quick defense who can who can handle any sort of counter attack. So that's that's going to play a big role in having Tanganga in that in that back line and bringing the average age down quite considerably. Um, mostly, and I think as well we're sort of seeing that in performances because we're seeing more chances get created and, and more goals scored. There's still a lot of work to do, a lot of consistency that needs to needs to happen. But I think my initial sort of worries of Joe Edwards and this and this Millwall side and him as a coach have sort of been alleviated by by recent results, especially over Christmas and into the new year, because they have been steady, they have been getting better. Although they've lost back to back games um, and a really poor really poor game against QPR last weekend, I do think there will be a reaction. Uh, we'll, uh, yeah, I think the the signings as well of, of Tanganga and Obafemi are really going to freshen things up if they if they're in the squad and in, in, in the starting eleven. So what's your selection then, Justin, for this game? I'm going for a Millwall win. Now I know their home record isn't isn't the best, but I just think Preston is so inconsistent. They blow hot and cold so often. Um, it's just really hard to pin pin them down. And say so I think that Millwall are looking a lot better and a lot more consistent than than Ryan Lowe are under under Preston. And I think as well there's a lot more quality I think in that in that Millwall side. And adding Michael Oberfemi and, and Tanganga into it is gonna is gonna be a big thing. And we've not seen the best of certain individuals. George Honeyman's not been great. Alan Campbell's not not been fantastic. Tom Bradshaw looks a shadow of himself last season or the shadow of himself of when he's on his goal scoring runs from last season. You know, he's not had that run of form yet. Kevin Nisbet's not really set the world light either. There's been so many players that have underperformed this season for Millwall. It's got to click at some point. Whether it happens against Preston, I don't know. But the the early stages under Joe Edwards, or the stages now under Joe Edwards, are looking, are looking a lot better than they were six weeks ago. Yeah, I agree with you, Justin. I struggle to put a large amount of confidence in Millwall just because of how they've done this season. But... As we were just alluding to, the Millwall squad's looking pretty tidy. Home advantage is a big thing. Preston are really badly out of form. So that's why I will agree with you on a Millwall win, I think. So there are mine and Justin's predictions for this weekend. And every week we combine these selections with a bet on the full-time results of our game of the weekend to create our very own second-tier featured multiple with SBK. So this week we're going for Millwall to win, Sunderland to win, and QPRV Huddersfield to be a draw. And a £10 bet on that returns £130 with SBK. That's Millwall to win, Sunderland to win, and QPR v Huddersfield to be a draw. £10 bet on that returns £130 with SBK. And you can create your own multiple with three or more bets on the full-time results of any game from across the championship. T's and C's apply over 18s only. And please do gamble responsibly. And baby... You know, it's now time for this. Scott High or Ryan Lowe? Give me fucking shit, mate. Yes, it's time for Scott High or Ryan Lowe, baby. And this is the game where we have to rank four things from highest to lowest. It's as simple as that. And there's three questions. This week, Justin is providing the questions to me. So what have you got for me, Justin Peach, you bastard? Uh. I've got some good ones. I've got some good ones. The first one, <laughs> it's a doozy. I had, yeah, it's a doozy. Yeah, go on in. Um, I want you to rank the longest serving players in the championship at their respective clubs. Mm. So a player who's been at the club for the longest. Thank Would you me. like the players? Are you happy with that? Are you I, content I'm, with that? I am content with that. Please Lovely. round off the players with me. Lovely. You've got Barry Bannon, Jonathan Hogg, Jamie Vardy and Jay Fulton. Okay. Jay Fulton. Um, Jay Fulton's one of those who wasn't really on my radar for many years and then just (laughs) suddenly started playing relatively regularly for Swansea. Um, 
I don't really know when he signed for Swansea, but I know Vardy mm. was definitely before Bannon. I can say that for sure because Bannon actually joined slightly later than I always thought he did. Um, how long was Hogg at Huddersfield for? Well, he was at Watford, wasn't he, when that Deeney goal was scored? And I think he joined he? shortly after that. Yeah, he definitely was. He was Hogg Deeney, doesn't it? Um, <laughs> so. I'll put Vardy top as the longest mm-hmm. serving. Ah, Jay Fulton. He's older than you think as well. Um, Could be. I'm going to put him bottom just because I, I don't really know, to be honest. And then with regards to the others, I will go Hog second, Bannon third. You're close. You've just got Bannon of Fulton the oh, I, d- I didn't know with Fulton. I just did not know. Yeah, so Jamie Vardy's top. He's been at Leicester for 11 years. Mm-hmm. Jonathan Hogg's been at uh, Huddersfield for 10 years. Jay Fulton has been at Swansea for nine years. Yeah, I, I knew it was a while, but I just, I just could not picture it. It's coming up to a testimonial year. Yeah. Quite, Incredible. Quite remarkable, that, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. And uh, Barry Bannon's been at Sheffield Wednesday for eight years. Yeah. Not as long as you think. No, it's not. It's not. I thought you might sort of get him mixed up or get him muddled in with, with the hog. No, no. Because I, I, I vividly remember, I vividly remember being surprised about how Bannon's not been in there as long as uh, you might actually believe. But anyway, mm. um, what's the next one, Justin? The next one is, I want you to rank who has used the most plays in the championship this season. Oh, God. Okay. So it's yeah, quite simple. Who, who, who's used the most plays? Which team has used the most plays in the championship? So the teams you've got are Plymouth, Cardiff, Watford and Stoke. Okay. Um, fine. Fine, fine, fine. Um, you say Watford as well? I did say Watford. I said yeah. Cardiff. I said Plymouth, and I said Stoke as well. I feel like you've thrown Watford in there because Watford are perennially a side who use a lot of players, but I don't think they do that as much nowadays. But well, they certainly don't do it as much as they did ten years ago. Anyway, um, maybe not. I think Stoke might be quite high in there because they okay. signed quite a few players in the summer, didn't they? So I will yeah. go Stoke. Cardiff, Plymouth, Watford. So you've got me Stoke, Cardiff, Plymouth and Watford. I'm saying that with very little confidence. Yeah, that's absolutely fine. Um, Well, you're wrong. Okay. We'll we'll, we'll put it out there. We'll we'll damage your confidence even more. You've just got Plymouth and Cardiff the wrong way around, actually. Um, So Stoke are top. that wrong? Yeah, so Stoke are top um, with 33. They've used the most players in the championship this season. That doesn't surprise me. Plymouth are next in this list with 29. Quite a few, actually. Don't know who, <laughs> but they've used 29 plays. Cardiff have only used 25. They're towards the bottom of the, the list in the championship, which I was staggers thinking, me a little bit. The reason I went high with them is because when people think of the players used, they often forget about academy players. And yes. I feel like Cardiff yeah. have used quite a few academy players, so I thought they might be higher than that. But they haven't. Um, and Watford have used just 23, which is the lowest in the championship, which is not a surprise because Big Val has said many times this season he wants a small squad. Well, there you go. Finally, yeah. Justin, uh, can I have the final Scott Hire Ryan though? See if I'd have some luck with this one. Uh, you might do. You might do. I want you to rank uh, the individuals who have held the most championships in the WWE. Oh, you bastard. So, so this it- includes... 
This includes Tag Team Championships, Intercontinental Championships, and all the variations of the main championship belts. Mm. So it's accumulative of all of those. Oh, do you know what it is this weekend, Justin? It's Royal Rumble. It is. And do you know who's staying up for it? It's going to be you. Yeah. I haven't stayed up and watched a WWE event in a long time, but I, I thought, you know what, why not do it this weekend? So uh, Absolutely. that's what I'm doing this weekend. Anyway, hit me with this, please. You've got The Rock, Triple H... Edge and Jeff Hardy. Fine. I will instantly put the rock bottom because... Because the rock bottom. Hey, I didn't think of that. (laughs) Um, I really wish I did. Um, But obviously he's been in Hollywood for yonks now, hasn't he? So I I would be surprised if he's not bottom. (sighs) Triple H, Jeff Hardy, Edge. I'll put Edge top. Because Edge has been around for a long time, won the tag belts, intercontinental belts, the main championships a few times. Uh, Triple H, see, he always had the big belts, but he often held them for a while. Yeah. So I think I'll put him third and then I'll put Jeff Hardy second. And I feel like I might have nailed that. You've got Jeff Hardy and Triple H wrong going you around. You fucker! No! <laughs> <laughs> so you're right in saying Edge is top with 31. He's, he's held everything, pretty much. Um, famous tag team partnership with Christian, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, Triple H, you are right. Uh, sorry, you were wrong. He was second with 24. Um, then it was Jeff Hardy with 19. I, then it was the, the Rock with 17. The thing is, Triple H has been around for a long time. We're talking a good 20 years, whereas Jeff Hardy's been in and out of the WWE. I'm so annoyed at that. That's really yeah. me up. That is the most I've seen you concentrate and really break things down on this podcast in Fuck. five years. I'm fuming now. <laughs> I'm not going to have to have a good sit down before the Royal Rumble this weekend. Anyway, ladies and gentlemen, that's been Scott I. Ryan Lowe. That's been the Second Tier Podcast. And this has been our preview show sponsored by SB. And we'll be back again on Sunday to round up all three games in the championship this weekend. Of course, I imagine there'll probably be some transfer bits and pieces as well, which happen over the coming days as well. So we'll talk about that and any other news which happens in the championship over this coming weekend. So we look forward to seeing you then. But this has been the Second Tier Podcast. I've been Ryan Dilks. I've been Justin Peach. And a big thank you for listening. Second Tier is a Stack production and part of the Acast Creator Network.